Yeah, I tell you, I'm, I'm excited about the word tonight. I mean, I, I always am, but but the, the Lord had this on my heart. I I got to share this um, last Sunday, and we were on a mission trip in Central America. And of course, I preached it with a translator, so I had it was only half as long. But it was this was a, a Pentecostal church near San Jose. I was preaching at, and it, it was it was great. I mean, it, my my circles since I came to Miami, my circles have been widening. Is why I, I lived in a pretty narrow church world for a long time. And in Miami, as we all know, is very diverse. But it was great being in this Pentecostal church. And after after we, we all sang and um, I preached, the pastor got up and says, you guys need to dance better. So I was like, oh man, I'm just a gringo. What, can I, how, what do I know? What can I do? Some of my team were, were going off, but uh, we, had, we, had, we had a great time. Now this is a story I came across on the web. Uh, it's from the Washington Examiner. Let me read you just a headline. It's a, a, a poll. A well-respected pollster came out with this story, and the headlines are, Americans are giving up on God and giving up on miracles. Half of Americans who have left their church no longer believe in God, leading a surge of nearly a quarter of the nation who have no affiliation with any religion, according to a new survey. Well, I guess they didn't come here to ask, now did they? They weren't talking to any of our people. That's not what I'm seeing. You know, anywhere I go in the world, everywhere I go in the world, I find the church of God. I, I, I find committed shepherds who, who are co compassionate to their flock and, and they care for the souls of their community. And whether it's the Philippines or it's India or it's Ghana or it's London or California or Costa Rica, I, I find gentle men and women of God who just, who, who get it. It, it. And it may be a little different in the styles. The dancing could be a little bit different. Uh, but the fact is, God's spirit's moving like never before. Now look, there are desperate people in the media who are putting out this kind of propaganda that, oh, the church is failing, the church is, is, is flailing, it's ancient, it's old, and, and the, the, the new evolution and, and all the things of new age are coming. And that just isn't so. Jesus said, I, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're, we're on the winning team. It's just, a, it's, it's, just, just say, it's just a matter of time. It's just a, it's, it's just a matter of time. It's, it's coming. He, he's coming. And we, we, we need to, what was the word? We need to cooperate. We need to be in, in the Father's business and according to the Father's, Father's plan. I think uh, the church has sometimes cooperated with the world a little bit. I think we've done a disservice to ourselves and our brethren and the body of Christ as a whole in misrepresenting what it means to serve God. Misrepresenting what it means to give to God's work. And we've made it like some kind of heavy burden. Oh, to go into the ministry and the sacrifice. And uh, do you have to tithe? Folks, you get to tithe. No, no, it, no it, it's an, to, to be in, the, in God's service at whatever level, it, it's not a burden. It, it's an honor. It's, it, it's a privilege that, that God would allow people like us I know way too much about me. I don't even want to know about you. <laughs> I don't know that I don't deserve it. Okay, so it, it, it's, it's a tremendous honor to be part of God's church. And it's, it's not some kind of a heavy thing. Oh, I got to go to church. People, it's, a, it's just a privilege. Our text today is going to be found in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And I love the title. Of course, I, I gave it the title. Um, uh, the, title is, the title is Deep, Deep Water, Deep Water. 
And this is a time, let me set the stage, stage for you in verses 1 through 3 of, uh, of Luke chapter 5, that a multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God. Let's let that sink in for a minute. The multitude were pressing in there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. They wanted to hear the word of God. Folks, people are hungry for God's word. People are hungry for God's work. They're looking for a way to know there's some sense and semblance to what a world we live in. I mean, you can't even barely bear to watch the local news. Just the abuse and the atrocities and the, the things that are going, what a world we live in. That's why they're pressing in. Now, Jesus said, look up, because the harvest fields are ripe, but the laborers are few. Now, why would you have to look up to see the, the harvest field? Because you're looking down at the world. You're consumed by the things of this world, the details, the, the trivial pursuits of this world. We place value on the worthless, disregarding priceless wealth. We tie ourselves up with this world. You see? He said, look up. L look what's really happening in this world today. And then pray that God will send more laborers into the harvest who will recognize the call and what a magnificent privilege we do indeed have. So that's setting the scene here. Um, uh, fishing and farming are two of the favorite illustrations Jesus used to represent to us what the kingdom of God and, and what the business of the church would be like. And I, I, I love to fish. I'm not very good at it. I have some good friends who are, and so that's very helpful. Um, uh, I did find out, though, that in Genesis, you know, that when, after the creation and, and, and Adam came on the scene, the very first thing that God gave man dominion over, do you know what it says? He gave him dominion over the fishes. And next time I'm out, I intend to remind the fish of this. And I'm going to command them into my boat. Come into my boat. But I, I, I do love to fish, and it, it, it's, a, it's a, yeah, always a, can be frustrating and, and fun at the same time. But I've started to take revenge. Because I started to go spear fishing when I scuba dive, which you can do in, in the Keys here, which is my revenge on the fish. No longer do I wait and wait and wait. No, no, no. I go after them. And then, boom, right there. Now, I got to tell you, when you're out on a dive boat with all the, the tourists from all over the world looking at the beautiful fish, and you come along with your spear gun, and boom, they, you're very unpopular going back on the way back into shore. Too bad. I, I, love, I love the hook and cook. So, in any case, any case. Um, there is a hunger for God's word today. It's going out like never before. You may know 43% of all internet traffic is pornography. But, but, but the Lord is using the internet in magnificent ways. And so the, the, word, the word is going out like the Roman road took it out in Paul's time. The internet is the new Roman road. And things are changing swiftly. And it's exciting. What the Bible says about Jesus, the common people heard him gladly. Now, the intelligentsia and the media and the upper, upper whatever, Jesus, the Bible says very few of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the, that class come to Christ. But some do. C.S. Lewis came to Christ. There are many examples of people that do. But generally, the common people heard him gladly. And so... They're standing by the lake of, of Galilee. There's two boats there. The fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. That's verse 2. Then Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Peter, Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. 
Interesting. So the multitudes are pressing upon him. He's being backed up to the shore. He sees the boats. He gets into it, shoves off a little bit, and there's a kind of a, a, a audio, audio carrying of, of a, a voice over water. It goes better over water than over land. He begins speaking to the multitude. What's interesting here is Jesus took a boat and made it the pulpit. So the question for us is, what can God take in your life and transform into something to be used for the kingdom? He took this ordinary fishing boat, and if you've been to the Sea of Galilee, and all the, they're very, very common, but he took it, he made it something special. And what you have to realize that your classroom or your neighborhood or your next door neighbor, that's your boat. Okay, that's what it was to Peter. And where you go tomorrow to work and, and your supervisor you may be a little bit crusty with or whatever the case might be with your coworkers, those are the multitudes. And God wants to take your vocation and turn it into a pulpit. Okay, you might preach it through your life. And you may or may not ever be called into so-called so -called a full-time ministry. That's really a misnomer. Okay, because we're all called in a full-time ministry of serving God. And what the rest we do is simply, is simply tent-making. But what can God use in your life for his glory? Then verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, of course, they had been fishing for quite some time, and um, fishermen are funny. Because when, you have, when you've been unsuccessful, the most dreaded thing anybody can ask you is what? What'd you catch? What'd you catch? I mean, it's hysterical. If you go to John chapter 21, we don't have time for it, but I'll briefly say, this is kind of the bookend story of this, this here in Luke 5. It's after the resurrection. They're back. Peter says, I'm going to fishing. It's always a kind of a backsliding term for Peter. And uh, they're out on the water again, and, and, they've caught, they, and Jesus appears to them, and they don't know who he is. And he says, put your, you know the story, put your nets on the other side of the boat. And um, so this is the resurrection now. The world's being turned upside down. Peter's going to be, uh, be redeemed. All this is going on. And then the Bible says, and they caught 153 fish. Now here's my question to you. Who took the time at this moment in history, only a fisherman, oh, only a fisherman, say, you know, let's just count the fish before we go in and, get, and, and see the resurrected Christ. <laughs> I love this guy. Whoever counted the fish, he, he is my new hero. In any case, that's a typical fisherman. Uh, but Jesus tells them to launch out into the deep. Um, shore fishing is not very much fun. You can catch some small ones. You can catch some fish from the shore now and then. But you've got to go to the deep. You've got you to go what? If you're going to catch fish, you've got to go where the fish are. And they, and they don't hang around the shallows. It's, it's too, uh, too hot. The sun beats down on them. The fish are in the, the flocks, the flocks of fish. The schools of fish are, are <laughs> you see what a good fisherman I am. Um, I, 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 I do know that they, they like to hang out in the deep, dark waters, the, the, especially the big lunkers, you see. And that's what we have to do. We have to go where the fish are. Now, I'm being very careful when I say this. I, 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 lo I love the church. I'm, I'm a church guy in and, in and out, okay? But Jesus said, go. And I think too often we say, come. Now, we should say, we should bring people. But this is not where evangelism begins. It begins in the workplace. It begins in the neighborhood. It begins in the soccer field. It, it begins in the conflicts of your life, you see? That's where the, the deep is. That's where the fish are. They, 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 they're not going to wake up this Sunday morning and go, you know what? 
I think I'm going to go to the 9 o'clock at Calvary Kendall today. I just think that'd be a wonderful way to spend my Sunday morning. No. Uh, first of all, we know that the lifestyle evangelism, what people, 80% of people who come to Christ are brought by somebody. They're brought by somebody because they, the, the salt in your life has created a spiritual thirst to them, and you have the living water, and, and that's the equation. Okay, so we can... Um, we can hope and advertise all we want, but you're the best. A changed life is the best advertisement for, for Christ. And that's what leads people to desire to be transformed. So go deep. We've got to go deep where the fish are at. Now, that's some of the things we do with crusades, we do with media, we do with a, aggressive evangelism. But, but as a matter of fact, we can't do enough crusades or have enough Christian media to get the people saved that need to. It's got to come from us. When you walk out these doors, that is your mission field. That is where you're to go, okay? And, and that's the great commission. Uh, verse 5, uh, but, but Simon Peter answered him, Master, we've worked all night and caught nothing. Okay, so right there he begins to argue with, uh, with Jesus. Now granted, Jesus is a carpenter from Nazareth up the hill there in the Galilee, and, and Peter's an expert fisherman, fisherman, and we never really see him catching fish unless Jesus is involved. Uh, or, or, or he's got to pay some taxes. But nonetheless, I, I love the line in Jesus of Nazareth, the film, uh, where Peter's kind of like this. He's kind of huffing and puffing. He does eventually relent. But in the film, they, they insert the line that it's extra biblical, but he goes, maybe he can preach to the fish. And so they, they take the boat out. And, and Peter does do that. And we see that he says, um, nevertheless, at, to his credit, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Can, can you almost hear the deep sigh? Okay, carpenter guy, we'll go since you say we're going to go out there. Now, he had known Jesus for some time, maybe over a year. This is his first interaction with some lunatic from, from uh, Nazareth. He, he knew he'd seen things, he'd heard things, and that's why he says, nevertheless, at your word, I will do what you say, even though it doesn't make any sense to me. And so, um, now it is interesting, and I don't, think I, I don't think I'm pressuring the text. Jesus says, let down your nets. Peter says, I'll let down the net. And so, whether it's plural or singular is up for debate. Uh, the fact is, he's not totally committed to the mission. I think we can all agree upon that. You see, that's to me, is half-hearted obedience. Uh, to me, that's, okay, Jesus, and you say I'm supposed to do we'll, We're kind of doing it with, with resignation and not with zeal. We're doing it. That, that's being committed, but not submitted. Uh, that's where we want to get, where we, yeah, whatever you say, zeal, fire, passion, full speed ahead, forget the torpedoes, we're going, we don't want incomplete obedience. I think that's kind of what we see here in the heart of Peter. It's not like, sure, whatever you say, Jesus, I'm, I'm there. Uh, we see a half-hearted submission. That's, that's, that's sitting down on the, uh, on the outside, but standing up on the inside to God where you're still being a little bit stubborn and obstinate. Yeah, okay, since you, all right. But we, we see that, he, as I say, to his credit, he does eventually do that. And verse 6 says, the nets are full of fish. And it's, it's a miracle at that point. And um, there's no limit to what God can do. Ephesians says he wants to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, you see. So you can't even imagine what God wants to do. So what? 
why don't we just go along for the ride? Since we don't even have the, the, the vocabulary or the capacity to understand what he wants to do in your marriage, what he wants to do with your children. What I'm saying, what I, with the legacy he wants you to leave, uh, the, the, that you're writing in the, on the hearts of your children every day is beyond your wildest imagination. I'm seeing that lived out in my life, and I'm just like, whoa, wow. I, never even, I, I could never have imagined what, what God is doing. And, what God, and then he wants to do even more as for such a time as this. So there are, there are if you're fishing in different places, they have limits. You can only catch 10 of these and five of these, and they've got to be so big and so long. With God, no limits. He has no limits. There's nothing he can't do. Nowhere he can't take you. Nothing he can't do with you. Nothing he can't change about you. You see? And so no limits. The harvest is ripe. But when we're uh, uh, consuming our bandwidth in our mind and our discretionary income and time on, on sports statistics and on celebrity lives and on things that are, are trivial, uh, there simply isn't enough room. Here's a, matter, here's, a matter, here's a statement of fact. There isn't enough time in your life to do everything you want to do. You have to prioritize. You have to commit. There has to be a sacrifice. There has to be discipline. Uh, Randy Alcorn said, why did God make America and Western, Western civilization the wealthiest society ever? Ever. Unimaginable. The way we live, uh, the middle class in America lived like the kings ever lived. At, at any time. He said, why did God do that? Why for such a time as this? He sent the money for a purpose. But if we squander it upon ourselves, it doesn't get to its intended recipient. And God, God didn't give us necessarily for second and third houses and fourth and fifth vehicles and, and all the rest. Now, you, we can all have our own level of commitment on those things. That's personal. But I'm saying to you, we need to be very careful to realize why God has given us these, these great blessings and that we're not forfeiting the opportunity uh, to get them to who they really are intended for. And so, back to our, our, our scene. So now the fish are coming, and, and the nets are breaking, and, 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 and Peter's freaking out. And then what they do is they, uh, they signal to their partners, in verse 7, look at it with me, uh, in the other boat to come and to help them. And they, they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink, you see. It takes a team to get the job done. See, no one church, no one movement, no one preacher, not even just a Billy Graham who, who preached to more human souls than anybody at any time in history so far. Uh, he could do it alone, okay? We, we, we need to work together. But there's a huge problem in the church with sibling rivalry where people, people in the church sometimes seem, seem more angry at other churches than they do at the enemy, and there's so much in that church this and that church that. And if I told you the story about the guy on the desert island with two shacks? Okay, so guys, um, the, guy's, the guy's a castaway on a desert island, and for 10 years he lives there by himself, kind of a Tom Hanks deal, and they finally he gets rescued. And, the, um, and they come, they, they find he's got a shack that he lives in, and there's two other shacks next to it. He's, this guy's all alone in this desert island. They go, well, what's that? Well, one's my house. I go, yeah. The other two, well, that's my church. He goes, well, what's that? Well, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> fickle. We, we're, we are fickle as Christians. And so we need, we need to realize that the sibling rivalry's got to end. You know what the best bait is for catching men? The best bait? It's unity. But the absolute, the best bait is absolutely 
uh, is unity. Jesus said in John 17, 21, that they may all be one. Listen, now they may all be one. Listen to the bait. They may all be one as you, Father, in me, and I am in you. They may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. When the world sees the church unified, that's when they become motivated to, to, to whoa, the church is working. And that's, what, that's why Satan works so hard to divide brothers. That's a sibling rival. Now, growing up, my, my boys had sibling, they, they had sibling rivalry on steroid. I mean, they could fight over anything, and they did. I mean, if you ever, oh, it's unbelievable. I could tell you stories, but I won't. Because of, the, because of the internet, but, um, but the division in a family is the same that we experience with our family. It's the same that God's, I would say, can't, if, you have, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Well, that, that lasted, well, right, that really worked. That was a wonderful, that was a wonderful idea there. Or why can't you guys just get along? Can't you see what you're doing and all the rest? Well, don't you think God sees that in the church? Oh, we're angry at the Pentecostals, and the Pentecostals hate the Catholics, and, the Catholics, and all the rest, unity. Around the, now, there's not compromise. I, I, the, or, or the Orthodox truths of the world, I get that. But it's, it's beyond that. So we're in Costa Rica last week. And I mean, we're out in the middle. We weren't in the middle of nowhere, but you could see it from there. I can tell you that. It, and we, were in, we were in some deep mud, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. And I was talking to one of, the, one of the pastors there, and he said, well, they're, you know, our missionaries that come here, but uh, they don't get along. Well, I don't, what, are you nuts? In a place like this, what, what is the purpose of having territorialism out in the jungle? But they do. E even in that condition, the human heart, the human heart, you see? And, and that's bad bait. That spoiled, rotten bait. We, we need to be unified around the cross of Jesus Christ. And we're so conscious of uniforms and, and oh, our team, and, oh, Calvary this, or Hillsong that, or, or whatever. It, God doesn't see any of that. He has one family, one family, unified. Yeah. So, so Peter begins to get it. Uh-oh. Wait a minute here. This Jesus guy... Dang. And so immediately he looks in the mirror in his own soul, you see. And um, he, verse 8, look at it. Peter saw he fell down at Jesus' knees saying what? Depart from me. See, that's, that's a common reaction, a natural response, looking at ourselves in the light of, of who Jesus is and in eternity going, oh, no, no way, not Ooh, not me, not now, no way. And I get that. People, focus, lean, lean in now. Don't, don't check out on me. This is so important. This is the calling of Christ on a personal life. This is when God condescends to reach down from heaven and say, come with me. Now, who are we to say no? But yet, one of the first things we do is say, no, not, not me. I could never go. I could never do that. You don't really mean me, or at least not now. Let me get the kids out of the house. Or, or let me. And that's what Peter says. Depart from me, Lord. I'm a wicked man. As if Jesus didn't know that. As I'm breaking news in heaven about Peter right there. Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter, that's why I came. Uh, the whole sin thing, Peter. You see? I, I, I get that. I felt that when I was called by the Lord. Let me tell you something. There is active disobedience. Would you just say no? 
No, I'm not going. I'm not doing. I, I, I know what the Bible says, but I, I'm just not going to do that. But that wasn't me, and it may not be you. I believe God's going to call some people tonight and change some lives. I don't know who you are. I, I don't know where God's going to send you, but I think tonight's your night. People are hearing my voice by radio, uh, by internet, that, that God's calling people. Why? Because Jesus said, pray that more laborers go into the harvest. How do I know for sure some of you are called into missions work? Because I've been to the mission field, and it's needy. Okay? I, I, I've been to the inner cities. I know there are places that need full-time service. So, in my case, I wasn't actively disobedient. I was serving the Lord. I was loving the Lord. I, I, I was running Christian radio stations. And, uh, but I was being passively disobedient by thinking that by doing Christian things and, and doing things that were having an impact on the kingdom. And I realized one day, wait a minute, I'm, I'm being called into full-time ministry. I, it just so rocked my self-image. No, no way. Not, not that I didn't want to serve the Lord. I thought I wasn't capable or worthy. I couldn't imagine myself being a pastor. It was inconceivable to me because I just knew too much about me, you see. And then one day, uh, the phone rang. And Skip said, I want you to come to Albuquerque and uh, supervise the pastors and oversee the media down here. And I didn't even have to pray about it. I knew it was the Lord. And in fact, I went. I owned two radio stations in Colorado Springs at the time. And I, uh, I went without even knowing what the salary was. I said, yes because I knew God was calling me. And I had been passively disobedient, even though I was thoroughly involved. I was on church boards, and I was guest speaking and whatnot, but God was calling me full time to serve him. And so I, I we had to take off. And look, there's a cost. There, there, count the cost. Uh, I, Jesus said, don't, don't, don't think there's not. I mean, and I'm almost embarrassed to say the heavy cost I had to leave Colorado. This front range is some smooth jazz, but... I, that, that, but but I never looked back. I never thought, oh, I wish I would. Well, the Super Bowl year, I would have been good to be there. But nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, um, if God's calling you, before we close tonight, I'm going to give you some litmus tests that you might apply to your life to know uh, how you're being called. But he looks in the mirror, and he says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. <laughs> and um, uh, you know, in Acts Chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible reflects on this. It says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. Been with Jesus. See, I, I, I love this because that's us. We're uneducated and untrained men. And people go, wait just a minute here. How are they doing that? They've been with Jesus. That's their only answer. It's the only solution. The only thing you could possibly be. As John Gray does in his study called I'm with him. You know, when Jesus, when Jesus is flying first class, you just go, I'm with him. I'm right there. I, I'm, I'm supposed to be in coach, but I'm with him. Uh, but nonetheless, that's the thing. Uh, they marvel when they see your life has been transformed. Your family marvels. And my whole family came to Christ when I got saved because they said, if anything can touch this guy, we want part of that. And I got to baptize my mom and my dad before they went home to be with the Lord. Well, uh, verse 10 then. We've got to move through this. It's so good. Um, the comfort and the call. Verse 10. Um, and Jesus said to Simon, 
do not be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. Now, how good is that? Just drop the mic and walk off stage right now. <laughs> do not, don't be afraid. Don't think it's on you. Uh, it's not about you. It's not about us. It's about him and his glory. It's about them and their needs. It's about, we, about the souls of people around us every day that are in jeopardy. In jeopardy of eternal separation from God. You see, well, the comfort and the call. Don't be afraid. There's a change of job description here. You may have a change of job description coming. Yeah, and God says, follow me. I, I got plans for you. I got things you know not of. I, I brought you here for a reason. This is, this, this is your season. L let's get it. Let's get it done. I'm inviting you into the family business. And uh, I'm always successful. So he changes their job description. It's he, he used what they knew. He said, I'll make you a fisher of men. He was, he, was re, he was relating to them. He was putting the cookies on the bottom shelf. He's making low-hanging fruit. I'll make you a fisher of men. Where their life was all about dead fish. Now it'd be about capturing live souls. Now, now they're being upgraded. This is not, not a demotion. This is not a downgrade. They're, they're getting the opportunity to be in kingdom service. They're, Peter says, we're royalty, a holy nation, a, a priesthood, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises unto our God. That's heavy. That's powerful. This is, this is, this is not some uh, uh, thrift shop religion we have here. This is the real deal. In verse 11, that's a moment of truth. Some of you are going to face that tonight. Uh, first of all, for, we're going to make sure you have an opportunity to commit your life to Christ because you can't serve him until you follow him. And, and, and you, you, can't, you can't love him until you know him. And, and you can't love him until you've been forgiven by him. And we'll give you that opportunity here in just a moment. But for the most, uh, there's a moment of truth in verse 11. Look at, look at, the, look at the, uh, uh, the words. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. That, my friends, is the moment of truth. That's when push comes to shove, recognizing there is a cost. I was in India a few years ago, and we were at a uh, graduation of uh, hundreds and hundreds of, of seminary students in, in southern India. And I was talking to the leaders afterwards, and they said, well, why, what, where do these guys go now? He goes, well, they go off all over the subcontinent. They go all over Pakistan and India and whatnot. And he, he goes, you know, a lot of them only buy one-way tickets. I go, well, why is that? He goes, because well, a lot of them won't be coming back. That's the cost in that, in that kind of a environment of preaching Christianity. They're putting their life on the line. And so we're I'm a little bit insulated here in America. We're a little bit soft. We need to toughen up a little bit and realize what the real deal is in the world today vis-a-vis -vis the Great Commission and the spiritual warfare that, that, that we are under. And so we're to be strangers and pilgrims to this world. Uh, we are to abstain from fleshly lusts. We are to, pure religion is this, to keep yourself undefiled from the, the world, un, unspotted from the flesh, and to visit the fatherless and the orphans in, and, the, and, the, and the widows in their affliction. You see, that's what pleases God. And if, if that needs to be the driving concern of your life, is does your time on this planet please the Lord? And unless and until you can answer that question in the affirmative, I hope you don't sleep. I don't mean that to be, to be ugly. I mean it's the most important thing. But you, you need to know, is your life pleasing God? Are you living a, a medium? The Bible says, Jesus said, if you are lukewarm towards me, it nauseates me. That's how serious this is. It's not, no, no small thing. Principles of fishing and a couple more things, and then we'll be out of here. Fishermen must have patience. 
If you're in a fish, it takes time. If you, if you, maybe you've tried to evangelize in lifestyle and it just hasn't worked. Well, the gospel just does work. Sometimes in fishing, you have to cast a hundred times to get one fish. You see? And sometimes you got to fish with different bait. And sometimes you got to have the right tools and get to the right place at the right time and be patient and persevere. You see? And so um, th there's, there's no real other option except that, well, here's what um, uh, John Piper said. He says, in terms of the Great Commission, you have three options. Go, send, or disobey. There it is. Either you go, you send someone, or you're in disobedience. A few questions and some fresh fish to go here tonight. Where are you in this story? Let's zoom back, get a little, little view of, of what's happened. There's a multitude pressing Jesus in. There's the four guys who, who are being called, and there's Jesus. Now, maybe you're just in the multitude today. It's coming, watching Jesus from afar. That's your MO, because you don't want to get too committed. You don't have to give up your weekend. You want to go to the Keys whenever you want to, and you don't want to have that kind of, you know. And so you're following from afar. And all you see is the dust of what Jesus is doing. And that's why you're not attracted to him. Because you're not really seeing his heart, seeing the work he's doing, seeing how he's moving in this world today. It's thrilling. There's nothing else I could possibly ever want to do than be involved in the work of God. Amen? I mean, it's it. As Peter finally said to him, Jesus turned to him one time and go, well, Peter, are you going to leave too? Because a bunch of, a bunch of people had departed from him because the saying of the cross was too hard. And just like this poll says, many people are leaving church. Well, the Bible says they went out from us because they were not of us, you see. And he turned to Peter and he said, Peter, are you going to leave too? He goes, where could I go? Where, where would I possibly go at this point? Once you know Jesus, the sweetness of him, the reality of him, the power of him, where, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Where are you in the story? Are you, are you one of the multitudes? Are you just kind of watching from afar? Are, are you like the, the, the guys who are being called? Where God, God's, God's, you can feel that, that, that tug on your heart. You can feel a push on your soul. And you're at that moment of truth. And he says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I'll put, I'll put you into business with my father and then you buckle up. That's what he, what he says basically. And what are you going to say to that moment of truth? Are, are, are you close enough to Jesus that you just have your salvation and your insurance? Or are you called but think you're disqualified because of your past? Let me read a quote to you. I, I love this quote. If you, think your actions, <laughs> if you think your actions have blown up God's plans for the rest of your life, relax. You aren't that powerful. And where are you in the Great Commission today? It's very simple. Go, preach, disciple, baptize. Go, preach, disciple, baptize. Those were his final, those were the, the, the Great Commission to his people. And that, that's all, that's what we're supposed to be about the thought. Go, preach, disciple, baptize. Repeat. <laughs> that's it. And that, that should consume us until that great day. Listen, as we close, there are many reasons to say no to Jesus when he calls you to become a fisher, to follow him and become a fisher of men. Many you know, well, the finances doesn't make sense. What are my parents going to think? They paid for my education and not conventional wisdom and all the rest. A lot of reasons to say no. There's one reason to say yes, because Jesus said so. 
He said, go. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he'll do things exceedingly and abundantly above all you ask or think. How do you know if you're being called tonight? Three quick words. Gifts, burdens, and doors. Gifts, burdens, and doors. You, um, people will begin to recognize the gifts in your life. You, you have a gift of hospitality. You have a gift of administration. Maybe you have a gift of teaching. Maybe you have a, have, have a, a burden for prayer. And that, that's, that's, those, those things are, are signposts. They're flares God's putting up. Here, this way. Come this way. He's leading you down that road. Gifts. Your gifts set. The burdens on your life. Are you burdened for the people of Cuba? Does your heart cry for those people who live on $1 a day? Who drink, who drink filthy water in Africa and, and get, get leeches in their eyes? Does that break your heart? It breaks God's heart. You see, we need to be on his page. We need to hate what God hates and love what God loves. We try to make him love what we love and give us more of it. Ah, upside down, inverted pyramid. We, we, we need to fall in love with the things he loves. The, the orphans, the widows, uh, the, the weak, the, the, the lame, the, the broken, the sick of heart. And then hate the arrogance and the, the lack of humility in this world and, and just evacuate it from our, from our souls because it displeases him because it's a residue of Satan. Well, and then gifts, burdens, and doors. And then you don't maybe have that one great epiphany, that one moment of truth where you, you have the, the Sea of Galilee moment. So, so fine, take, take your time. Start, but li listen, here, here. Start saying yes to Jesus in small things. It'll lead to saying yes to Jesus in big things. And, and that, that's the way he, he leads you along. You see, if you can't say yes to Jesus in purity, how are you going to say yes to him from the pulpit? If you can't say yes to Jesus in discipline about getting up in the morning and, and, being, and being a good example of integrity, how are you ever going to manage this, the household of God? And if, if you're not going to be generous with what you have of small things, how will he ever trust you with big things? Billy Graham said, God will bring unlimited amounts of resources through your hands as long as they don't stick to your fingers. You see? And what God, what God wants, the, the, the chasm, the Grand Canyon is this, between what God wants to do in our lives and what we're allowing him to do in our lives. And that can begin to change tonight. And if tonight you don't know him, you're not absolutely genuinely certain of, of your salvation, we're going to give you the opportunity in a moment. But we'll also have a moment to um, give the church the chance to sanctify itself, to dedicate itself, to be, begin to clear out some of the rubbish rubbish and, and uh, rubbish as well in our, in our lives and make room for the Holy Spirit to do that, that, that wonderful work he wants to do. So clearly the gospel is this. Jesus came to die for sinners and we are all fallen short of the glory of God and God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I, I can't make it any simpler or fundamental than that. So I, I don't care how often you've gone to church. I don't care what your parents did. I don't care if they were deacons or whatever. If you don't personally have that relationship, that can change tonight. You can believe on him and allow him into your life in, in a way that will begin to transform you fantastically. So I'm going to pray in just a second, give you the opportunity while we all have our heads bowed for you to make that commitment and be, be absolutely certain you don't want to get this one wrong. You can't afford to get this one wrong. You've got to be sure of your salvation. Let's all pray together. 
Lord, how grateful we are that you died for our sins. Your blood cleanses us in, in f magnificent ways. And I pray for everybody here, those watching by internet, those listening on the radio, that you'd be certain of your salvation. If you're not, this is your time. This is your moment. This is the intersection of faith and reality and destiny in your life. And if you want me to pray for you, if you want to make that public proclamation of your need for Jesus and your, 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 the forgiveness he wants to, to uh, shed upon you, just raise your hand right now. And God bless you over there and in back. Put that hand up. Don't be bold. This, this is the most important decision of all time. You will, I don't know anyone who's ever regretted coming to Christ in all these years. And God bless you and back. Anyone else tonight, those watching, you too can pray. And I invite you to do so. Those listening by radio, take a moment and allow Christ to come into your life. Let's all pray together. Thank you for those hands. Let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying for our sins. We believe that if we confess with our mouth that you are Lord and we believe in our heart that God has raised you from the dead, we will be saved.